listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey. Hey, everybody. I hope you're having an amazing week and it's about to get so much better because, A, I'm actually out of rehearsals right now. I actually have a little break today, which is so exciting because since being, since being on Dancing with the Stars, I feel like my whole life has been rehearsing, getting fittings, going into block in front of cameras, making sure that Brandon's not yelling at me, um, making sure that Brandon's happy with my performance at rehearsal. And so in this moment, I am so thankful to have my partner on the line to join me for my podcast because we got so much to share about this amazing man, Brandon Armstrong. What up? How are you doing? Yeah, she had to bring me on here so I could yell at her in her world too, not just my world. I always, she can't escape me. She can't escape me. <laughs> oh my God, Brandon. I am so excited to have you on because besides being a bomb ass dancer, yo, we got to talk about your crazy life. I want to talk about how it is that you even got into ballroom, okay? Because you're 6'2". Yeah, like 6'1". Let's say 6'2", because it makes me sound better, but I'm okay, more like 6'1". 6'2", six, six and... Being a man of color, black, Polynesian, yeah. and like you talk about your Islander vibes, you're built like an Islander, you got, you got muscles, you got body, you got curves. You're not the average looking dancer. So talk well, yeah, to me about- Especially on our show. Especially right. on our show. Talk to me about that. Can we, how, do, how do we just get into that? Why is the male dancer always kind of the same physique? He's either really small and petite and, 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 and just, you know, more on the slimmer side or he's really tall but still on the slimmer side why of course well i think mainly because of when kids start dancing most kids that get to this level of dancing have been dancing since they were two years old right two or three years old i was a little bit different i didn't have the opportunity to start like that so i started obviously a lot later i started when i was like 11 or 12 which for dancers that's really really late so i think by then i was playing sports lifting weights eating a bunch obviously genetically like you said i'm half black half poly so i'm going to be bigger than a lot of these little white boys that are running around so i think all that kind of plays a part in why they all stay so small but yeah i mean if you look on our show me and q are the only two ethnic dudes on the show and we're both way bigger than all the other dudes so i think a lot of it's genetics just genetics got it and did you feel when you were growing up i mean i don't know when your growth spurt happened but but at 11 or 12 were you a different size than your dancers what's crazy is at 11 or 12 all the way till i was basically 18 19 years old i was really scrawny oh. i was super thin i was like six foot but weighed like 130 pounds i remember my ballroom partner was is lindsay arnold she's another pro that's on the show and we used to be able to wear the same size clothes until what? I was like 18 years old. And Lindsay, I'm not joking, Lindsay's a five foot five, 110 pound, even pregnant. She's probably 120 pound, little white chick. Like little. That's crazy. Crazy. So that's what I didn't get my growth spurt till I was like 20, like 19 or 20. I was a late bloomer. And then I went and served a volunteer mission for my church because I'm LDS, I'm Mormon. So I went and served a uh, volunteer mission for my church for two years. And when I got back from that mission, I had grown like four or five inches. No, probably like three to four inches and probably gained. Oh, dang near a hundred pounds. Like I was Not like, I came back, well, I Ready. came back 205. I went on my mission a buck 30, maybe. I came back 210, 205. Like I came back way bigger. I mean, right now I'm walking around at 203. So. Oh, so, so you like are, wait, so you're breaking boundaries just by being a bomb dancer and dancing through this, this body shape. That's not the typical dancer because you're just that good. Let's be honest. 
Yeah, look, it's not typical. It's not typical to be my size, like especially me, Keo. There was one other pro named Max. He's Val's brother, actually. He was he's a lot he's even bigger than I am. He weighs like two twenty and he's he's really big. So for sure breaking boundaries in the terms of this is not like your typical especially in ballroom, let's just call a spade a spade. You don't see a lot of big black dudes doing ballroom. In fact, you see two of them and it's me and Keo. So but that's also because that opportunity isn't exposed to a lot of black people in our communities. Let's start there. How did you get exposed to ballroom dancing? And why do you think it's not available to black communities? Of course. Okay, uh, not, so it's not as available. As available, for sure. So I got exposed because I was adopted. So let's, let's start at the, the base for me was that I was born into an environment where that would have not been available. I was born in Martinez, which is like South Stockton, like LA area. Um, Martinez, California. And then I kind of moved down into like East LA area for a little bit. And I was adopted actually right when I was born because uh, the parents that, you know, created me or gave me this opportunity were not in the best situation. My dad was in a lot of trouble in and out of the system, um, doing whatever he was doing. Um, And my mom um, had a lot of addiction problems, a lot of kids. And so I ended up getting adopted. I think I was the youngest and I actually don't know this for sure, but I think I'm the youngest of like my biological siblings. I was on the tail end of them. I think she had quite a few. And so I was on the tail end of them. And so I just got born into an environment that it was not realistic for her to support me. Um, it, do, you it, think she willing, do you think she willingly gave you up for adoption or do you think that that was a process on its own? Because I, I honestly don't even think adoption is the number one option a lot of parents think about because they just, they feel like it's a failure. They feel, you know, it, it's hard to hand your kid off. Do you know about that process? I see, to be honest, I don't know. So I've never had contact with my birth mom. Mm. So I've never, I, I don't know her side of the story. What I feel like what I've been explained to from my, the mom that adopted me, the mom that raised me, mama Carlene, is that she didn't have an option. Like there wasn't a whole lot of alternatives for her. I mean, at that point, look, you're late into your, you're late. So regardless of what you think about abortion, you're late into your, your carrying cycle. So you're not going to abort a kid that's eight, nine months at this point, right? Like, So you get to the point where it's like, well, now what do we do? Do I raise this child in this environment where his father is not inside of a home? But this is this is real life for hundreds of thousands, probably millions of kids that are born into our inner city populations, regardless if they're black, white, Mexican, Asian. When you are born into a household that is a single parent household that is living below the poverty level, you are not exposed to the same things that you are when you're a middle class, regardless of your race, when you're just middle class. Right. So. I don't know. I, I was very fortunate that I was adopted. I was actually adopted through LDS Family Services, which is the church adoption agency. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, yeah. So I was adopted through that. So my mom and dad that adopted me were recently baptized and converted to the church. Um, my mom and dad that obviously gave birth to me were not members of the church, but they went through LDS Family Services, which is the church ran. It's for free. It, it gives them opportunities. It helps put kids into foster as well as adoption. And my mom and dad were told that they weren't going to be able to have kids. They both had issues. They weren't going to be able to conceive. And so they came out and they found me and they adopted me right when I was born. Like I, I, I was scooped up out of that situation right away. So I was so fortunate because I didn't have to go through what my other brothers and sisters did in the sense of they had to grow and be raised and develop those characteristics of uh, just trying to survive. I mean, look, like in your relationship, you're, you're engaged to a man that has a very similar thought process. Like at that point, it's about survival. It's not yeah. about what mm, we're obtaining. Right, right. You know, for right. these individuals. Can we just highlight the fact, though, that your parents, Mama Carla, Carla 
and your dad, both Caucasian parents, went and fought for you, a brown-skinned, black Polynesian boy, to take back home to their very white neighborhood. Is there a specific reason why they picked you? I'm not saying that they, obviously, it's just different. It's just different because they are going with somebody who is out of their comfort zone of what they understand, I assume. Yeah, and somebody who's clearly not theirs. Like, yes, I'm theirs, obviously, legally and spiritually and whatever it may be. Like, my bond with my parents is great. But what I'm saying is when we're walking around and I have two little sisters that were, that are conceived or were um, my mom's kids, actually. They're the biological kids, so I'm not related to them. And so when we're walking around at Disneyland and there's five of us, there's clearly like the one black kid that's way bigger and is black as crap and then an all four white family. Like, it's pretty clear that like I'm not like biological to these people, you know? So I think a big reason is my mom always tells me this. My mom always says, well, mixed kids are always cuter. Like, she always tells me that. Oh, mixed kids are always cuter. So I think that was interesting. But I, I've been told stories that my mom, so Mama Carlene, her dad was fairly old school, kind of racist. And so when he, when my mom told him that they were adopting me, they, he basically told him, oh, you better not be black or you better not be Mexican, right? Like, so my mom, I think was kind of like, no, like, screw you. Like, this kid deserves a chance. Like, yeah, like, I'm going to go out and get this kid, you know? And so I was adopted and then we moved to Napa Valley. I was raised in Napa Valley. Then I moved to Utah because my dad's in the military. He's one of the heads up in the military. And we went to Utah and he took a job at Hill Air Force Base in Utah. So that's how my whole life into dancing got started is when I moved to Utah. Utah's a huge dancing. Wow. Okay. So before we get to Utah, let me ask little curly haired Brandon here growing up in this white family. And by the way, Napa, <laughs> that Napa. deserves a moment Napa uh, because it's a very, very Caucasian heavy community. When you were in school, did your race ever become a subject matter to you? Did you did did you face anybody pointing out that you were a different color than your family? Did you feel discriminated against? And what did you understand about your culture? Because I think that's another question I have is, if I were raised by a white family, I don't know if they would teach me about the communism that goes on in Vietnam today. I don't I know if they would un- describe to me that every single Vietnamese person you see here came from a refugee background, that they either came by boat or somehow some form of escape to leave their country. Like there's some certain, there's certain roots that you cannot miss out when it comes to being black. So how much of that were you, but do you, you feel like Do you feel like that's part, do you feel like that influences your culture? Like, do you feel like that knowledge influences the culture of the Vietnamese people that are here in the United States? Absolutely. I feel like the Vietnamese mindset, if you notice, in the communities is very business, entrepreneurship, and survival. Because there is no feeling of, I'm here, so I've made it, so let me kick back and just, no, there's this art of survival, whether it's getting your kids the best education they can get, then focusing on that job that pays, that uh, saving money and just cycling it within the family so everybody's dreams can come true. You do not rely on the government. You do not rely on the stimulus check that's never coming, by the way. You do not. You rely on your hard work on yourself and then 
you become a bank within your family. I can't tell you how many times my parents' money went through my uncle's joyeria, his, his jewelry store that he owned, and then the salon that he later opened, and then buying the first house that my aunt got, and then my aunt giving me money to buy my car. I didn't get loans from the bank. Everything was cash because the Vietnamese community just kind of feels like once you've made it here on your own, the sweat off your own back, you got to continue that because that's the only thing you can rely upon. So I do feel like that has to do with the Vietnamese culture. And I think that's what's different for me is that you were raised in a culture that is proud, right? Like you guys are proud to become successful on your own versus the community that I was adopted out of or the community that I've had. To, let, let's be quite honest. So like I, when I started my mission, I served in Memphis, I served in inner cities. Um, and then I, I try to do everything I can for obviously inner cities. My brothers and sisters that weren't adopted are still involved in those situations. So I have very close ties with that, right? My thing is, is that there's a difference now where I, I see your culture as a sense of you guys are out there thriving to make money and to be dedicated and to get good grades and blah, 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 blah. And, and us, so much of this, the United States culture is built off the backs of black culture and they love to be a part of it, right? They love to dress like it. They want to talk like them. They want to listen to their music. They want to eat their food. They want to play basketball like them. They want to rap like them. They want to dance blah, like blah, them. Blah, 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 blah. They want to dance like them, but they don't want to do anything of the struggle. They don't want to live on the A block. They don't want to live in Oakland, Chicago, Memphis, Detroit, Eight Mile. They don't want to. They don't want to live anything. They don't want to have to sell crack to make money to provide for their kids. They don't want to go to a public education system that is failing them. They don't want to have no jobs available for them. So to me, it's that the, the culture is very different. And so for me, I feel like yes, I was lacking. To answer your question, yes, I was lacking some exposure to that culture, of course. But my mom and dad, when they adopted me, I will never forget this, especially when I was growing older. My dad, very, very successful in the military, very influential, very, very powerful in the military. And I remember he told me, look, I've given you everything, all my money and even my last name. What you decide to do with it is up to you, though. Like you can choose to relish and to want and to desire that lifestyle, that edge, that gangster mentality or that inner city mentality, which there's nothing wrong with that. They've made money off. They've become successful off of that. Or you can stay in touch with that, understand that that is reality for millions of most people in this country, then go get yourself educated, get yourself successful and become and do something for them. Actually mm. do something for them. Do something for that community. Right? Wow. That, that's the only way that we can do that. Right. We can, the, right. The, the way to help black communities. Your dad is basically saying, black. your dad is basically saying, use the privilege that I've given you 100%. to serve your community. To benefit where you were born. Right to benefit that—that that is where you were born. You were born into that. That is that is a part of you for the rest of your life. You will never be able to run from that, hide from that, change that. But I can now that I'm making some money on a Dancing with the Stars. I can go support black business in East LA. I can do that. I can go support black entrepreneurs. I can go support an open ballroom dance studios in in Detroit, in Chicago, and I. That is something that I can do because I've been given privilege, of course. Right. And not only that, but through dance. You said it yourself that dance isn't exposed to inner city kids. Why do you think that is? And how are you doing your part to make sure black kids out there are learning the art of ballroom or learning to emotionally express themselves through dance? Of course. Well, first of all, ballroom's not the coolest style in the world. Like, like when I was growing up, so I, like, like I said, when I started dancing, I was an all styles kid. I still am an all styles dancer. Um, explain what that and, means, because you had to explain it to me. And I, 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 by the way, I 
tell everybody that because I'm so proud that I don't think that we would have the routines we had if you were only ballroom dancer. Some of the things that you've called cheesy in the past, by the way, our little snake, <laughs> I really loved and our, <laughs> I really love, but we wouldn't do that if you were only ballroom dance. Cause that's not, that's forbidden in ballroom. So what, what is yeah. an all style dancer? Got you. So ballroom, so ballroom is more like more um, connected to like a ballet, very specific, um, detail oriented, technique oriented, discipline oriented. Then you have like all of your, like your urban styles, which is like popping, locking, waving, tutting, um, all that type of stuff, house dancing. And then you have like jazz, contemporary, ballet, tap, you have all that stuff. So I'm what you call a studio rat. And a studio rat is kids that basically grow up in a dance studio. I went to center stage and then in the, my later career, I went to this place called The Vibe. And, you know, at one o'clock, I had no fourth period in high school. So at one o'clock, I was there and I would have ballroom privates, privates from one to four. Then at four o'clock, I would have ballet till 5.30, then jazz technique till 7.30, then hip hop fundamentals till 9.30, then 9.30 to 11, we would have company, which in company, we're doing jazz, contemporary hip hop bomb. In so one day? Yeah, and I would do that six days a week, right? So me, Lindsay Arnold, Jenna Johnson, all these pros that are on the show, we're what you call studio rats or all-style dancers where we are, maybe we're not masters at one style, but we're very prophetic at all styles. We're proficient okay, question, at question. Did you do all those classes? Because I remember my parents putting me in flute and violin. Yo, I hated that shit. I, I wanted to take that <laughs> flute and bang it aside on the, against the side of the house. I actually had set it on the gutter so somebody could parallel park on it. So then I could say I didn't have to do flute anymore because it was jacked up. Yeah. And I got out of it because my parents wouldn't buy another flute. And I was like, thank God. So with you doing all those classes for half your whole day, kids are out there wanting to eat Fruit Loops and watch Alvin and the Chipmunks and you're in dance again and again. Were you, is this what you wanted or did your parents force you to do this in order to get you out of the house? Yeah. Well, actually I wanted to do it. So I was big into sports. I wanted to go. I wanted to go play professional baseball. I was a third baseman stud, if I would say so myself. Thank you very much. Wow. Play for the Utah All Star team. Like I was like I was legitimate, like an athlete. Football, box. Like I was. I was just athletic. And I and again, like I never really had like I wasn't walking around like God. I really want to go dance. But I actually went to one of my cousin's dance performances, and he danced for the college BYU Brigham Young University in Utah. And I went and watched it, and I was like, dang, this kid is out here dancing with hot little girls, like <laughs> hot little girls, like little mama, and, and getting paid to go to school, listening to dope music, da- like again, dancing with these chicks. I can't stress that enough. And I'm out here running around with sweaty dudes and fighting and getting punched in the mouth and doing all this stuff for nothing, for nothing. Like, <laughs> there's no point. Like, look, I- I'm all about brains over bronze. Like, my, like I, there's no point for me to be doing this. So that's what ended up getting me interested in dancing. And then from there, I started taking some classes, and I was garbage, hot garbage. I'm like 11, 12 years old in these classes with all my friends who have been dancing since they're two years old. And I'm like, I am boo-boo, boo-boo. And I'm super competitive. I'm super yes, competitive. Yes, you are. And so that was not going to fly for me. I was like, look, I got to get my butt better. I got to get into shape. I got to get better at this. So I just started taking a lot of dance classes, again, from like 1 to 10 every day, basically Monday through Saturday, Saturday morning, we'd start at nine and go to a one. Like it was my life. I didn't have time to go out there and dick off with my friends all day. Like I was in, like I was, I was disciplined, but I always came from a disciplined household. Always. Okay. Okay. Well, we got to take a break, but when we come back, I want to ask you a straight up question. 
that a lot of listeners might place as the reason why inner city inner city neighborhoods do not have access to dance studios, which is the cost of dance classes. Yes. And if every family can afford something like that. And then number two, I want to ask how you got to being partnered with me and what that journey has been like to you. So when we return from the break with Brandon Armstrong. Welcome back to Listen, Honey. We are with my partner from Dancing with the Stars, Brandon Armstrong. What's up, y'all? Brandon, you were talking to me about your journey on how you became a ballroom dancer, but specifically a man of color, a man of color that was adopted into a, in a situation. And we're also discussing why a lot of kids out color don't have access to dance classes. Don't even think about this as an option when it comes to putting your kids in extracurricular activities. And by the way, I just want to say research has proven that dance is an amazing form of therapy out there. The art of moving and expressing yourself through music is a great way to release tension for kids, anxiety, depression, to, to just get lost in a safe environment that's a way, you know? So for you, why do you think inner city neighborhoods, black kids specifically, don't have access to dance? So I think, I think they have access to their interpretation of dancing and their interpretation of dancing is cultural, right? It's doing like, it's, you look at all these things that are famous on TikTok right now, or all these, all these kind of national movements that kind of take the world by storm. A lot of those are created by cultured inner city ethnic groups that are just fire that just want to listen to their music and interpret it with their body and be able to do what, what a they WAP want challenge to, right? could look like. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's what they're into. Then you have the completely opposite or different world of ballroom dancing. Now, obviously, there's a lot of people that are ballroom dancers that didn't grow up with a lot of money. So, yes, can you do it without a lot of money? Absolutely. But, you know, I hear stories from some of my peers, some like Val Schmerkowski, right? He's an immigrant family. And they're, they're very similar to your story. They, they fled uh, essentially an environment that wasn't. Safe for the kids and the family. Safe for the yeah. kids or beneficial for them, right? Like they knew where their life was going to turn out. They didn't know what their life could turn out like to be in the, in the United States. So they brought them over here, but they had to drive 45 minutes from Jersey down into New York to take dance classes. And they had one car and they lived in a small little apartment in upstate New Jersey. Like, like it, it's not simple. It's not easy, especially to get your kid to be at the level that they're on to Dancing with the Stars. So I think number one, financially, these kids don't have the means in order to I mean, some of these kids are wearing ballroom shoes that are 300 bucks now and mm, costumes. That, I mean, the wow. dresses that you're wearing on Dancing with the Stars, you know how much those dresses sell for? Like you go to a competition, those dresses are selling for K's, thousands of dollars, right? Wow, so, I never thought about that. Yeah, like I, it, it's hard. You got to have money. It's an expensive sport. It is. And people, are, and people are spending right now for private lessons for 40, 45 minutes. If you're with a top tier person, you could spend $200 for 40 or 45 minutes for a private lesson. And in order to get like the best, you have to play the politics. That's a therapy session. Wow. Oh my gosh. And if you're supposed to be having multiple of those lessons in a day, what do you, I mean, what do you mean? Most families can't afford that. So I think that number one, number two, I think it is viewed as like a white people sport. I think it's viewed as a white person style. And I think that's because you don't have a lot of people doing it in a way that could be shown as different or ethnic or this or that. There, there are some white boys in this sport that are cold blooded that have mad swag, super yeah. stylistic, yeah. slick as crap. 
it's just they're still white. So then people that are ethnic are like, oh, whatever, that's just yeah. a white boy. It doesn't, okay. you have to see the representation to believe that you could do it, of course. Exactly. But let me say this on that note, I've always wanted to say this. Me and Britt and Keo have the opportunity to be three black pros on this show. Dancing with the Stars has been great. And in your experience, I hope you'd experience that. We have gay people, straight people, Asian people, black people, yes. smart people, dumb people, fat people, skinny people. Like we have about the biggest mixing pot of people. It's always people that are Americans, people that are here on green cards, Australians, yeah. Brits, like every different type of person. Even people so, who have been deaf, people who have yes. disabilities. Yes. Blind, disabilities, no leg, like all these things. Like we are so inclusive as a family. So I love that about the show. However, let me say this. Keo is from South Africa. Britt is from Denver, Colorado. I was adopted and essentially am from Utah. Utah. We do not represent the black culture in this community and in this country. Let me be very, very specific with what I'm saying. We, we don't. I wasn't, I wasn't raised in a single parent household for most of my life with parents who had no money. I wasn't out there selling dope or fighting to get an education or playing sports because I thought it was my only option out of an inner city. Neither was Brit and neither was Keo. Mm -hmm. So as much as I love that people can look at this TV screen and see somebody who looks like them, three people that look like them, understand that our experience was very different than your experience when you're looking at us. Yeah. So what I want to do though is I want to provide my experience for people like you. I want to open up Barham Studios. I, I have been thinking about this for the longest time. Why wouldn't we go on a tour? Why wouldn't me, Brittany, Keo, Val, Jenna, some of the bigger names, ethnic names and bigger names on the show, get, get a tour bus together and go to every inner city. Have somebody sponsor Go to Compton. Go to, go to Watts. Absolutely. Yes. Have, have, Hit up have Detroit. The government, of course. Have the local, state, and city government set it up where we can go into these rec centers and teach young men how to respect women through the art of dancing, right? Oof. Through ballroom dancing. I, I, I... Every day you and I come in, in three to four hours, we have to develop a relationship. Yeah. When I'm dancing with you, I have to take care of a woman. I have to present and frame a woman, learn how to communicate with the woman in the right way. Not out here calling them this word and that word and hold this and hold that and this is my, no, stop all that. Respect yeah. them, empower them, create them, allow them to be beautiful. Show them their strengths. There's really, all these different things. Yes, I love even poetically, how you describe the art of dance. Because there was a time, guys, and I think that's time is still now, but I have a problem taking direction from Brandon. When we dance, you know, either I have to hold firmly to his hand or follow his lead when he pulls on me to turn. And I'm out here doing my own thing. And what Brandon described to me is the reason why we have to be so symbiotic together is because, Brandon, you're meant to be the frame, the, the male in the dance uh, in, in the routine needs to be the frame for the woman to then become this portrait. But without the frame, this portrait's just a, 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 a random picture that you might not notice as well without this beautiful ornate frame to place it in. So ever since you gave me that understanding, it really gave me a great understanding of how marriage works in life. And Jay and I have actually talked about it because I noticed I don't think I ever even told you this. I noticed that I have been by myself for so long, even through my past marriage, I function as my own. We weren't a team. We weren't a partnership. And quite frankly, I've been on my own since 16. So I only know how to make my own money. I only know how to root for myself. I only know how to be my own publicist slash manager slash my own attorney. So I don't really need another person. But now that I'm in this relationship with Jay, he's constantly reminding me that, hey, I can't be a man to you if you don't make room for me. 
If you don't allow me to support you or you don't call on me when you need help or just allow making room for me to just be the man where you don't have to be the man for yourself. And I immediately thought back to that analogy you gave me within dance because we would look like two crazy dancers and I would look terrible if I didn't let you lead so that I could do my thing and shine like you've taught me. And so you're, you're absolutely right with that. There are so many beautiful lessons in dance besides the five, six, seven, eight. Oh, of course, the discipline of becoming good at this sport. You have to be disciplined and you have to, you have to be willing to be sore, to be uncomfortable, to push your boundaries, to expect more out of yourself every single day. I just look at so many kids that are raised. And look, I say that I'm 26, so I'm not like a grown, like I'm not- Yo, every day, just- just so everybody knows, every day this bro right here reminds me how grown he is. He's bare, like six years ago, he was allowed to drink. And he's yeah, telling guys, me all the time. Me, I have full-blown oh. facial hair. So, you know, like I, I had to shave just to get on this podcast because my beard wouldn't fit in the screen. I had to shave it down. So It's literally the milk mustache from his Oreos last night. <laughs> and he's sitting here trying to sell this thing as man growth. Okay. Yeah, it's straight grown, combing it out. So... <laughs> I just, I just feel like, look, I'm only 26. I have, I've lived a lot of life, but not nearly enough to talk on some things. But I just see sometimes the way that these kids are raised or the way that these kids talk and they just lack any sort of discipline. They lack any sort of self-motivation. Mm. They lack any ability for them to put off what they want immediately for something that they see themselves having in the future. So for me, it's just, I don't know. I just, they're soft to me. Like I just... And again, maybe because of my, I'm telling y'all, like I was raised in a disciplined home. So maybe that has a lot to do with it. But my dad came from nothing, built himself a huge military career. My mom came from nothing, is now a school teacher at a private university. Like similar stories to you, like you have to have discipline. I think people view the American dream as something that's handed to you. And that is nobody's going to hand you crap in this country or any other country. So you better be willing to fight and scrap for it if you want it. If you don't want it, then shut your mouth because it, it, then don't talk like you want it because you're not going to do anything to get it. Absolutely. So you've got to go into these cities and, and through the art of dancing, teaching them that. These, how many times do I make you run something or do something in rehearsal? I can't even tell you. Thousands now. Yeah. He's sitting on his phone, usually scrolling through his gram as he watches me do a same count over and over until I get it right. But yes, yes. What I love about it, what I love about Brandon, you have to pay the time you have. It doesn't come free. It does not come free. What I love about your coaching, Brandon, besides the fact that you're mad talented in your skills, but you know how to get into someone's dome. I would I would venture to say 100% of your ability to dance and your performance is going to be all based on your ability to believe and put out that, that you are about to kill this shit. And I, you guys have known, because I've shared this on my podcast, that I do, I, I don't want to say I suffer, but I do, I am struggling right now to learn how to cope with anxiety. And you, Brandon, have popped that bubble. Like you, he's always kind of, giving me an idea that everything that you have, all this anxiety, which is normal, it's a balloon, pop it, let it out, and let's just move on forward. But you have a very military way of hammering it. It's something soft. You don't coddle me. You literally look at the fear in my eyes and you beat the shit of it out of me because you, but not because you're hurting me because you believe I can do better. And 
that has to be something you've gotten from your family, your your upbringing, but also the art of dance. Because when that music starts, you got to dump all that shit behind and get out there. What are you going to do? Give yourself a five out there on the dance floor and come back and be like, oh, well, I felt safer in my bubble being able to, I felt safer in my bubble just not giving it my all. No, you got to give it your all and prove to yourself. Every dance we've done, I came from scared as shit before we step out on that dance floor, even to the point where Brandon doesn't allow me to watch the packages. When you guys watch Dancing with the Sards, you see like a little minute story that's told about why we're doing this dance. And he doesn't allow me to see it because he wants me to stay so laser focused. I got to fight myself to audibly hear only Brandon and not hear the audience, the cheers and the booing, if, if that. And then the packages just to stay in the game. And that takes a crazy amount of mental work, Brandon, honestly. Yeah, you have to be mentally disciplined. Look, I'm a lot of things. I'm not good at a lot of things in this world. I have a lot to develop. I have a lot to become better. But one thing that I am, and I will give credit to my parents, is extremely mentally fit. Like, I, okay. I can lock down. Yeah, I can lock down. And it could be on the most stupid thing. You could be like, hey, you, in order to make a million dollars, you got to stare at this pebble for six hours without blinking. You would see me lock. I, I, I'd make it eight hours. Like, I am so mentally, because my dad just growing up and my mom, I'd come home from dance. Oh my gosh, I have so much homework to do. Too. So then what, why the freak are you spending time complaining about it? Sit your butt down and do it. Are, are you not going to do it? Okay. Well then if you're going to do it, then let's, let's skip this whole process of you feeling sorry for yourself or you wanting somebody wasting to feel sorry for you. Yo, you're wasting time. Sit your butt down, finish it. I was taking mm. college, all AP classes my senior year of high school because I wanted to make sure my education is very important to me. And I'll never forget, I was taking online classes at BYU and I was sitting down in the corner. We had this little corner room in our house, which is like our computer room where I would do all my work. And I kept felt like nodding off. Like I was watching this and I kept nodding off for this math class. And I would like kind of fall asleep. And finally, my dad came in there and he paused it. And he was like, we don't do anything halfway in this house. You're either committed to it or you're not committing to it. If you have too much on your plate right now, tell me and we'll back off of it. But if you're going to do all this stuff, then you're going to give it 100%. So go wake up and Oof. come back and do it. Right. And I was like, yes, sir. Got up, went out there, figured my crap out, came home, nailed it. Right. And so now it's the same way when we only have three days to put together a routine or two days to film a wide and get it sent in. Uh, what are you going to do? Complain about it? We're going to complain about it. Talk about how we're sore and tired. No, we don't have time. Let's get it done. Yeah. Because your anxiety will always be there. Your depression will always be there. People's depression, anxiety, um, the, the things, their, their fears, the things, yes. their phobias, those Doubts. things are always going to be a part of our lives. So if you don't learn how to address it and move the freak on, then it's useful. It's useless. Yes. You're not going to do anything. Yeah, and you're wasting your moment. And you're wasting your time. Well, I mean, if you have so much, so much on your plate in a day, why spend half of your day pitying yourself? Absolutely. No, just go figure your crap out and move on. I agree with you, Brandon. It's, it's so beautiful to hear your adoption story and the blessing of such great parents and your discipline in being in dance against all odds. I have to show you this out of all the fabulous pictures that we've taken. We joke about the fact that we're going to print some of them because they're just so cute of us dancing the last three weeks. This is my favorite picture of them all. Yeah, me and my kiddos. This is a picture taken from you coaching on Dancing with the Stars Juniors. Yeah, that was and my first break. My first, first time break. as a pro. Yeah, before really? that, Dancing with the Stars, I was on Troop. I had never done anything big, never really talked on camera, nothing. Then I finally got the call that I was going to get a little junior couple. I got Ariana and Artyon, and that was kind of my big, like. Wow. 
I see you going full circle with that dream, by the way. I hope that in any way, as a person that's been your partner, but also as a supporter, I want to support that idea when you think, when you pull it together, as far as putting a bus together and visiting these inner cities and providing some type of dance outlet for these kids. Like I call, count me in. I'm, I'm down well, to let's support get that. It. I want to get, and I want to get, I would love to get like some sort of therapist, a, a mental evaluation yeah. where these kids can come in and we could do a, a camp, two hours of ballroom with Val, then an hour of basketball with Brandon and then, an, and then a lunch. And then they get to go meet with a the therapist. And then we have a group dance class at the end. I would love a three day camp, all these inner cities, yeah. please, please, if you're listening to this and we can put this together, let's do it. Absolutely. Let's reach out and support these people. Let's not just steal their culture, make money off their culture. Let's go help them develop it. Anybody listening to this podcast, please do follow and DM Brandon on what how this I how his, our podcast affected you, whether it's something you want to jump into or maybe people out there who want to join in on this idea. You've got a person ready, willing, and able to do this. Let's support oh. this idea and get a community together to try to make this happen. Please. And you can follow Brandon on Instagram at Brandon Armstrong. He he he'll check your DMs, give him a day to respond, but he's a little delayed because he's not a big social media person, but hit me up and I'll make sure he gets the messages. I got you on that. She's always up my butt about it. So she'll make sure I get back to you ASAP. Absolutely. And for everybody who's been following Team Dream of Jeannie, following Brandon and my Instagram and our work and watching our shows every Monday, yo, thank you so much for voting. The only reason why we're sitting here talking is because we have rehearsals tonight because you guys kept us on another week. So thank you so much for voting Team Dream of Jeannie. And for those who just jumped on board, know that Dancing with the Stars airs every Monday nights and you have the power to vote 20 times, 10 online, 10 on your phones by texting to 21523-Jeannie. I don't even care if you see our dance. I don't give a fuck if you don't like our dance. Just vote for us because we're cute <laughs> and we're working hard and we're going to make you proud Guys, every Monday night. we have night. some fire stuff in store. I already told her some stuff coming up for creative. Listen to me. Vote to keep Jeannie in here because we got some fire coming for you guys. Do screenshot this podcast. Holler at me. I'll pass the message on to your boy. He is also single. I should let you know single. that. So, Young as a Pringle. Let's do it, baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the sour cream and onion one. He's that tangy flavor. Um, rapid fire questions. I'm going to ask you three questions. Give me your quickest answer, Brandon. Number one, how far do you think we can make it in this competition? You could win. Okay, I'm not even going to mess with that. We're just going to leave that right there. Hey, you said as fast as I could, you could win. Okay, okay, number two, what's our biggest challenge that could keep us from winning? Mental. The mental. You got to stay mentally focused. Also, there's a few challenges named Neve, Caitlin, and a few other people. Justina. That are Beast Johnny. Johnny. Some, some Olympian gold medalist type people that are a little bit challenging, but we could, we, we could make it over that. All right. All right. And third question is, what have you learned from working with me? That you Sorry. can... Okay, answer that because I want that answer, but I'm going to rephrase it because it's not the answer I wanted, but go ahead. That you're never developed enough to stop learning. You can always progress. You can always become better. You can always become better at your craft, become better in your life cycle. And also that when change happens, it doesn't always have to be a negative thing. You went through a divorce when you were a little bit older and, and, and more developed into your career. That doesn't have to be a negative thing. You can develop that into all positive things. Now you're mm-hmm. happy, met your soulmate, making money on Dance with the Stars. You are blessed by whatever God you believe in to have me as your partner. Then you should. <laughs> no, we didn't expect that. Did you guys see that left uh, got him. Right there? Just... Got him. 
And you're right, Brandon. I appreciate that. And I never take that for granted. Okay. This is the question I meant. You have been with so many different partners. You have an incredible amount of wisdom for your age, but what have you learned about yourself from working with me that you didn't know before? That sometimes you honestly have to trust the process. I'm the type of person that feels like I could do anything. Like if you gave me enough time, I could become an Olympic snowboarder. If you gave me enough time, I could become the general of the military. Like I just feel like I could do whatever. And so when I teach you, I'm like, oh, like I can always teach her to be good. But sometimes you just have to trust the process because people develop at their own pace. And for us, we're kind of like this throughout the week, right? But we always peak on a Monday. We always peak on a Monday, you know? So as long as we're willing to trust the process and if you put in the work, the payout will always come. It will always come. For the people in the back, man. Brandon, I love you so much. You guys follow Brandon on Instagram at Brandon Armstrong. Do vote for us every Monday night. Allow us to continue to entertain you. Brandon, I love you. I'll see you tonight at rehearsal. Love you too. We'll see you tonight. Get ready to work. <laughs> Thank you. Oh <laughs> listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey, listen, honey.